0: All right. Well, I'm welcoming uh, today at our podcast, Doctor Scott Duval. Scott teaches at Washington Baptist University. Uh, as a matter of fact, Scott, you've spent your almost your entire career there, haven't you? You finished your PhD. Scott and I were years ago. <laughs> we were in the PhD <laughs> program. I think I was a little ahead of you in the PhD program yes. at Southwestern. Yes. And when you got your doctorate, um, then you did you was uh, Washington your first teaching job? Yes and they haven't
1: been able to get rid of me since then. <laughs> you served as a dean for a while? I did. We When we began our own school, I was the the first dean of the school. did that for seven or eight years and then wanted to get back to the classroom.
0: Dr. Duvall is the author of several books. Probably his most famous, he and uh, Danny Hayes, good buddies, that uh, Danny also teaches at uh, the Pruitt School of Christian Studies there at Ouachita, Uh is great. Grasping God's Word, boy, that book has really done well. And it's it's been read by so many people. It's helped so many churches and colleges. I mean, talk a little bit about that book before we get well, started.
1: when, you know, Danny and I were brand new professors, and he was teaching how to interpret the Bible, and we had two options, either a very technical textbook um, really meant for grad students, or something that was... Um, even below Sunday school level. I mean, just super simple. And there was no mid level book that taught students how to read the scripture. So uh, we just jumped in and said, let's give this a try. And I think mainly because of the need um, and because we were teaching at the level of uh, really the educated layperson is about a freshman in college level, I think, and freshman, sophomore. And so it just, it just met a need, and it took off, and we've been so grateful that, you know, it's been translated in several different languages and is used used widely, and we're just super thankful to the Lord for that.
0: I think I heard recently of a quarter of a million copies have been sold. Is that right? Maybe so.
1: I haven't really kept up with it. <laughs> <But> <laughs>
0: well, I'm, it's amazing. I'm very and, thankful. And you And have you uh, published an updated edition of that book? Well, it's actually
1: in its fourth edition. Wow. Yeah. So, it, has, it has a workbook uh, as
0: well. There's the textbook, yes. and then it's got a workbook, mm-hmm. and people find and it so accessible and so helpful.
1: There's another. There's an abridgment actually uh, called Journey into God's Word. It's about 150 pages, very small book, and we intended that to be for uh, student ministries and and other groups that don't want to get into the the bigger the bigger book, but just want an introduction.
0: Yeah, so, and it's done well as as well so uh, Scott's also the author of several books Um, he not only has creative partners you know with Danny and others but he's written a commentary on the revelation of John uh, for the Teach the Text commentary series published by Baker. He's also written a book, uh, try to make basically Revelation accessible to lay people called The Heart of Revelation, published by Holman. It's really, really good. He, what, what Scott does is he goes through the Revelation and 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 basically introduces the Revelation in a thematic way, but pays very careful attention to the literary story, you might say, of the Revelation.
1: You know, um I think when people hear about um, about Revelation, they they automatically think millennium. Hmm. And the more you study it, the more you realize, yeah, this this is an important issue and an important question. But you can understand most of Revelation without really understanding, you know, the millennium. It's really almost
0: <laughs> and, arbitrary, isn't it? This whole some eschatological perspectives. It's taught that it's divided by pre-millennial, all millennial, post-millennial. And then when you get to the revelation, you find out the millennium only gets like a few verses in chapter 20. And that's it.
1: That's it. And so why neglect these major themes like God and Jesus and perseverance and the Holy Spirit and so forth Um because of a, a debate about, you know, just a few verses in chapter 20. Yeah,
0: very good. Okay, so what you did know about the Bible, and here's the shocker <laughs> that for, for lay people, uh, the rapture does not appear in the Revelation of John. You're absolutely right. It's not there. And what a surprise, because here's a book, the last book of the New Testament. It's devoted to the things that will take place. There's obviously an eschatological perspective. It tells us what's going to happen when the kingdom is consummated and Christ returns. And the surprise is there is no rapture there. You would think it would be there. <laughs> you would think. So I've got a quick story to tell. It was uh, I grew up in Southern California, and I don't remember much about my pastor's sermons there. But we moved to Springfield, Missouri, then went to junior high and high school there. And my pastor there was a dispensationalist. And boy, he preached the rapture as if it were constitutive of the gospel. Like, if you didn't believe in the rapture, you didn't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we heard rapture sermons like at least once a month. So I go away to college, Southwest Baptist College at that time, yeah. and in Bolivar, Missouri, and, and I and I take a course in in eschatology. And my professor, Gerald Cohen, uh, wanted us to read through the Revelation of John and just make a chart, basically. What happens, then what happens, then what happens. And I can't tell you what a surprise it was, because I'd never done that. I'd, I had seen the charts, the dispensational charts, about the rapture is supposed to occur, right, and the rapture right. is when somehow God is going to evacuate all the believers on earth, and then there's going to be seven years of tribulation, and the beast and all that shows up. And so I, I'd seen the charts, But when I charted the revelation of John, I'm telling you, it was a shock to, you know, I'm reading through it. I'm going, this has happened and this happens. And and then I get to the beast and I go, wait a minute. Where's the where's the rapture? I must have missed it. I'm not kidding. I go back and all right, I missed. So I'm reading the scriptures. You know, I'm going through revelation. I get to the beast and again, I go oh my goodness, I missed it again. Am I not paying attention? <laughs> I'm not paying attention. So I, no. the third time I go through and I can't find it. So then I couldn't wait for my next class period. I go to Dr. Cone and said, look, I can't find the rapture. And he had a wry grin on his face and said, really? You can't.
1: <laughs> There's a good reason for that. You know, people try really, really hard to find it. And the place that they've they think they found it is in chapter four of Revelation. Yeah. Yes.
0: And it's yes. a weird idea. Oh, yeah. But and, before we get to chapter four, I want to yeah. jump to, because I think if you've got to understand, why would they say that? Why would the rapture they think show up here in chapter four of Revelation? Let's talk about, Scott, Where where is, you could be the passage that most rapture theology people point to and say, this is where we find it in the Bible.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be First Thessalonians four. Um and probably another one that is a leading candidate would be uh Matthew chapter twenty-four. Hmm. So we can we can look at both of those if you want. Let's do. Um, let's let's
0: talk about so why do some people think that one Thessalonians four, especially in its its verses it's verse 17 right then we yes. who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord I'm reading the New American standard Version why do why do some people think that is teaching the rapture and then well, why is
1: it not? you have the word that's used caught up which is you know if, if you want to say that's the word for rapture that that is that is the word. Um, and so they just read that one verse. Um, and we who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and away you go. What you always need to do when you read <laughs> the Bible is is read verses before and after, because it makes a huge difference. So um, if you back up to verse 13, um, let me let me tell you little story first because this is this hit me, when Judy, my wife, Judy, and I have three daughters and I would, I would, you know, teach in the mornings, come home for lunch when the girls were really small. And, uh, and as I thought about this passage, I thought about, about, you know, what would happen when I would do that. So in this story, I get to be Jesus. Okay. So (laughs) I'm, I'm coming home and I drove a a pickup and it had a nice muffler system. So I would pull into the driveway, you know, kind of gun the motor, turn it off honk the horn okay so jesus arrives it's very loud it's very public it's very visible and as i announced my arrival they would come out to me i would gather them to myself and then we would go back into the home where we would eat lunch okay so that was a homecoming for you it, it was and it was just one of the best things ever so look at this passage then, the whole passage, not just verse 17. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you may not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe. So he's he's using his theology uh, of, of, you know, the Christ return to comfort people who had, who had lost loved ones. We believe Jesus died and rose again. So there's the paradigm. There's the, the pattern. Jesus died, death, and then resurrection. So we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. So you have the same pattern. Those who have fallen asleep, God will bring them, bring them back. Um, so I think he's talking there also about death and resurrection. And then he goes on to explain more. According to the Lord's word, We tell you, we who are still alive and are left till the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And Rodney, you know this better than I, that, um, you know, Paul lived at a time when uh, Christians were beginning to die before the return of Christ. And so the big question was, what's going to happen to these people? Do they need to be alive when he comes back? Will they be disadvantaged in some way? Yeah, some
0: scholars teach that that Paul so passionately preached the imminent return of Christ, who's gonna bring rewards for the righteous, and there's gonna be punishment for the wicked, which is an important part of Jewish eschatology, right? When God shows up, he's finally gonna right every wrong, he's gonna reward the righteous, he's gonna punish the wicked. And so some scholars think Paul preached that so passionately, that Christians who died before Jesus came back, they thought, "Uh uh-oh, they don't get to enjoy the rewards. There are no rewards for them. They missed out because they didn't live long enough.
1: And what Paul is saying is, no, they get to go to the front of the line. Um, He says, you know, we who are left will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And here's here's how this happens. And think about my story of, of coming home for lunch. The Lord will come down from heaven, and notice how loud and visible in public. This is not a secret rapture. This is noisy. <laughs> this is evident to all. He will come from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. So you have return. Then you have resurrection. After that, after resurrection, we who are still alive Okay, our and our left will be caught up. So then you have rapture, but it comes after resurrection, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And and if you want a fourth R, that would be reunion. (laughs) Yeah. So so this passage, when you begin to take
0: it as it is, okay, not try to import any kind of rapture theology. You compare it with what Paul says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, you compare it with what Jesus talks about in yes. Matthew chapter 24, and it's, and then you compare it also, especially with the revelation of John chapter 20, 19 and 20, this sounds like this, the resurrection of the dead in Christ, what John calls Absolutely. the first resurrection. This sounds like, if you will, what happens at the second Coming of Christ, so That's in it. certain respects, those who hold for, out for a kind of a a separate coming of Jesus, it's really they they almost have three comings, don't they? We have the first coming of Jesus, yes. then the second coming of Jesus, which is somehow yes. some sort of secret rapture that pulls out, you know, the believers on earth, and yet I don't hear them talk much about any kind of resurrection of the faithful at that point, because we know in John's Revelation yeah. the resurrection of the faithful doesn't happen until the they, for their their third coming of Jesus, which often we refer to rightly as the second coming. So yes, h- yes. how in the world can they, when it seems to me, and, and, and you know, it, it's hard for some people who are so used to seeing the church, they've watched the movies. <laughs> you know? That's it. Yeah. Left behind. And, yeah. And, and, and when you read its context— you begin to realize oh my goodness paul's not talking about something separate from the second coming he's talking about the second coming it has all Absolutely. the all the benchmarks even the some of the same uh episode you know the phenomenon of, of the shout and the archangel jesus talks about this paul talks about the last yep. trumpet at the resurrection and he even yes. mentions the dead in christ shall rise so yes. how in the world can someone hold on to a rapture idea when you as you've done, read it in its context.
1: You know, and this this is not super popular around the world, Rodney, where people where Christians face persecution. Um this is the rapture
0: theology is uh, not.
1: Yes. This is this is a theology that has kind of swept America thanks to the left behind books and dispensationalist theology. And and what there are a couple of thoughts I have here. One is if you Draw this imaginary line just across a giant room, a, a church sanctuary, or gymnasium, or whatever. That and that line represents all of humanity. Then the hope of rapture theology is at the very end. After God's people have suffered persecution the entire time, at the very end, you have a you know like a half inch of people mm. who get taken up before the and persecution. They don't have to suffer. Yes. So I think what motivates people maybe under the surface to come up with this this kind of this way of thinking is that they can't imagine Christians suffering persecution. And I go back to John 16 and 17, where, you know, Jesus is this is his final night with his disciples. And, and he says this is John sixteen thirty three. He said in this world you will have trouble but that word trouble is the word for tribulation but take heart i've overcome the world yeah and so jesus promised all of his people that we would we would we would live in a period of trials and tribulation and suffering as we show allegiance to the kingdom of god uh, and and you know as an act of rebellion against Mm-hmm. Uh, false kingdoms. The kingdom is countercultural. And it is so. I think. I think rapture theology offers this nice, neat little escape plan, so that you never have to imagine that you will suffer tribulation. The danger in that is that bad theology hurts people. Mm. And if, um, if you're expecting to escape and they imprison you yeah and the <laughs> rapture doesn't happen like it's supposed and it to it doesn't happen and you know you go through what christians around the world are experiencing now in in this country then uh you're just not prepared
0: and surprise uh, surprise who- one of the common teachings that paul paul gives in two thessalonians 2 and jesus talks about this is a falling away and yes. you, you talk about bad theology <laughs> being harmful to the church. I couldn't yes. help but wonder. Oh my goodness, what if their charts are wrong? Yes. And they'll be and they'll they'll f- experience a crisis of faith. Like yes. wait a minute, am I not part of the you know? Am I not part of the say what? Am, what are we still doing yeah. here? And perhaps that could be the context of why then they are going to fall away because they're overwhelmed by the fact that there is no rapture. So you were mentioning, uh, Dr. Duvall, that, you know, some people going back to Revelation. All right. Some people say, oh, yeah, the rapture is there. It's in Revelation four. What are they talking about?
1: Well, part of what happens here is that they have to keep the system together. So you have the church mentioned in chapters two and three, and then after chapter three, uh, the church, I think, is mentioned plenty of times, but it's it's not called the church, and you know. So, but in Revelation, with its symbolic language, its picture language, its imagery, uh, just because the word church is not used doesn't mean the church is not there. You have you have you know, plenty of, of references to the people of God. Um, but then, so they, they, they have to find something in Revelation 4.1. And so this is this is what it says. After this, I looked, and this is John speaking. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. They see that as a as a reference to the rapture of the church, but in the context, and so often Rodney, just just read the scripture in context. that solves most of the problem. This is not um speaking to the church at all. This is speaking to John about his prophetic vision, and John is told that in the next part of his vision, he's going to take a journey and and see the heavenlies. And if you look in Revelation John John travels all around. Oh yeah. He's, he's so in heaven, he's on earth. So, you know, you if you want to take John's visionary travels you're going to go to heaven. You're going to come back to earth. You're exactly to to right. Heaven. So They, they you're, say you're John heaven.
0: symbolizes the church, which is kind of hard to buy. No, no, no. But then that that's is... a strong point because he's one minute he's in the heaven. Next minute he's back on earth. Then he's oh, up yeah. in the heavenly, then back on earth. So we don't want the church like a yo-yo
1: theology. No, no, no. And it just makes no sense that John somehow personifies eat... the church. No, you're going to eat scrolls and you know, have <laughs> all kinds of crazy experiences. So – this is, this is not referring to the church at all. It's referring to John's personal visionary tour as the Lord shows him, uh, you know, all of these images that form the book of Revelation. And so
0: the rapture really does not show up in the Revelation. The second coming shows up.
1: The resurrection yes. shows up, yes. but not the rapture. You have uh, another very popular passage in Matthew. If you want hmm. to spend two minutes there, yes, let's do. Um, this is this is the one that comes up probably more than
0: any of them. Um, they talk about how there's a catching up, there's a taking, you know, of uh, in, in Jesus's parable of uh, about like the days of Noah, and two yes. men are. Are in the field. One will be taken. One will be left there. They go, boy. There's the rapture right there.
1: That's it. Yeah, you know, you you uh, you don't want to be left behind, right? You might leave your appendix behind on the on the airplane uh, when you're raptured, but you know, <laughs> that's part of the novels. Um, so, you know, but if you read that text carefully, uh, Jesus is talking about. Um, people eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark and the, and the flood came and took them all away. So this, this is a taking away in judgment.
0: Yes. The the taking, not, away, not are the taking pe- away are the people. It's not, it's not that Noah yes. and his family were taken away. It's that the people who were not righteous were taken no. away in judgment through the flood. That's right.
1: And so then you have two men in a field, two men will be grinding with a hand, two women were grinding with a hand mill and one taken and one left and the big shocker is the one taken is taken in judgment right. if you look at the noah parallel right. so you don't want to be raptured you you, you yeah you don't want to be raptured. you don't want to be taken away you want to be
0: left behind because being left yes. behind means the kingdom has come and yes. that's a whole other problem there are a lot of the evangelicals that somehow think that the goal of the christian life is to escape this earth, yes. and go to a spiritual place called heaven when we die, and then that's the end. That's the goal, and I think that also <laughs> folds into some of this rapture theology as well. And the shocker, oh, totally. for, shocker for lay people is no heaven. The way I put it is a halfway house. It, it's the the spiritual place called heaven, where the you know to be absent from the body is a present Lord. If you believe there's some sort of conscious state before the resurrection that is temporary yes right because the Absolutely. way the revelation ends is heaven comes to earth or earth is raised yes. paul talks about yes. romans 8 all creation
1: yes and it's called it's it's not just heaven it's the new heaven and the new earth yes. or new ground and the new sky yes a whole new world yes So what has been
0: separated, heaven and spirit and earth as terrestrial, are now one, and God's presence is evident, Christ is among us, earth is raised. So this idea that somehow the goal of Christian life is to escape this physical place, to shed our mortal coil, as if we leave our bodies behind, and it's a bad thing, when the When the heart of the Christian faith is
1: the resurrection of Christ's body, therefore we too shall be raised. Absolutely, 100%. I grew up with this notion of heaven that you're somehow in this massive church building with pews and and it's all white and you have smoke and harp music and angels. And as a little boy, I thought, I do not want to go there. Because huh. you're going to sing him after him for eternity. And <laughs> like, <"That's incredible." laughs> exactly but right, right. If you look at the new heaven, new earth in the book of Revelation, this would be another podcast. But it 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 is so it is so physical and and earthy and tangible, and you begin to imagine this place as it's painted um, in the last chapter, uh, you know, of the great story then you think that's that's the place, that's where I belong. Yeah, earth is raised <laughs> from the dead. Yes. Paul yeah. talks about yeah. that in Rome, yeah. say,
0: creation groans for the day that sons of God will be raised, so it too will enjoy resurrection. So here's the question, yeah. Scott. Yes. So, so if Matthew, if Jesus doesn't teach, uh, you know, an escape, and if Paul's not teaching that, then here's the question in 1 Thessalonians. If Chapter Four is about Christ returning and the dead in Christ are raised, and we who are alive are caught up, right? Why are we caught up into the heaven? I mean, there's there's still a catching up for those who are who remain. Why why are they caught up? What is what is the word picture? What is Paul trying to teach us?
1: I think he's saying that when Christ comes back, it goes back to my my lunchtime story. You know he will gather his people to himself mm. so there is and this is this is the sheep and the goats parable in matthew also there's a separation of the righteous from the wicked so he calls the righteous to himself um these are people who have believed in jesus they followed jesus they belong to jesus they're indwelt by the spirit and he just calls his children to himself and and then i think you know. We imagine us then all going off to this, 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 this heaven where we don't have bodies and, you know, we don't eat food and, and, and all of that. And it just, but no, in that setting, he escorts the, us then down to the new creation, I think, and. That's that's where we will live in his presence forever.
0: And, and there is there is a, also an element right beside that is not only the redemption of the faithful, both those who have died in Christ, fallen asleep in him, and their bodies raised, and then the, the ones who are enraptured, you might say, are caught up yeah. at the second yeah. coming. And I would assume that Paul's envisioning we get resurrected bodies if we live that long to that point. But yes. then the other part of it in Revelation hits this, Jesus hits this, Paul hits this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Judgment is coming. Yes. To the earth. Yeah. So part of the part of us Christ gathering us to himself is that we are indeed protected, we are redeemed, we are his, and as God comes to earth and judges the wicked, judges evil, judges injustice, brings about goodness, and the law of sin and death loses forever, in certain respects, it is a salvation, you might say, from the judgment
1: of God. Yeah, and I think if you look historically at the great Christian hope, it's been in the resurrection. Yes. Um, So, and that's even Paul's hope. He talks about, you know, uh, anticipating the resurrection. So, I I love to tell students and and, uh, church people that You know, if you're resurrected from the dead, that is judgment. Mm, Good point. Yeah. And so you don't have to, you know, worry that God is going to return. Jesus is going to come back, raise you from the dead, give you a resurrection body, and then condemn you to hell. Right. That resurrection is judgment. Right. Now, you may have a conversation with God about how things have gone during your life, but, you know, that's a— That's not a destiny judgment for those who have been resurrected. So I think that's what's going on in Thessalonians.
0: So in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 9, I've heard rapture theology people say this. God has not destined us for wrath. And they see the great tribulation as God's wrath poured out, like you read in Revelation. The seal's broken, the trumpets, all this horrible thing happens. And they say, wait a minute, God has to rescue the church out before his wrath is spent on
1: creation. Yeah. I think God is pouring out his judgment now on the earth. We see that in Romans. And so I would make a distinction between physical persecution, tribulation, trials, and and spiritual protection that that the Spirit of God provides. I think when You become a follower of Jesus and the spirit of God comes to live in you. That is that is God's protection against his final judgment. Hmm. Spirit is God's way of saying, I will one day raise you from the dead and give you a resurrection body fit for life um, in the new heaven, new earth with me forever. Yes. So, you know, I think there's a confusion about any kind of physical suffering equaling the wrath of god and that's that's just not the case
0: exactly right plus i mean because jesus talked about us being persecuted oh, yeah. like you said in john's gospel and that we yeah. should count it as joy james says that as well in chapter 1 count well, our joy at what
1: happens yeah, look at what happens to the apostles. <laughs> and mean, then
0: exactly right. Then when you read the Revelation, you also notice there are times, and you're the expert on Revelation, where there's this f there's this very clear sense that the redeemed
1: are somehow marked and protected yes. from the wrath of God. And I think that seal or that mark, and there there's debate about what this is, but I think that is probably the spirit of God that that marks us. Um, but in some way the the mark or the seal is is a sign of, of Jesus's ownership and relationship with us that spares us from divine judgment. Yes. And I think in Romans eight one, Paul says, There is therefore now no kata crema, no yep. judgment against, judgment against. For, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yep. And that's that's exactly what is happening with revelation
0: so that's why paul says you know he's writing to his converts they are children of the of light they're sons of day they're not children of darkness they don't sleep so they're sober they are wearing the helmet of salvation the breastplate of faith so he even talks about there how we are armed with christ that protects us from from you might say the rightful judgment against evil because we are redeemed people
1: Absolutely. And so what we're talking about here, Rodney, is Christians not having to be afraid of a lot of things Hmm. that are really stirred up by some faulty popular theology that really promotes fear. If the spirit of God is living in you, you belong to the Lord. You don't have to be afraid of final judgment. Um, You can anticipate the new creation, new heaven, new earth with joy um and you know uh you don't have to be afraid that should you suffer persecution, physical trials that in some way that's a sign of God's judgment. Um, you know what what is promised is that you will you will be sealed or protected by by the Lord uh, against his judgment because you have, Put your faith in Christ.
0: Yeah. So uh, the one thing the gospel teaches us um, is that our number one goal is not to be comfortable. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're often like the writers talk about us as aliens in this world. Yeah. Uh, this is not our home. Uh, yep. Creation has fallen. Sin and death seems to reign here, and yet we believe in the resurrection of Christ. We've already overcome sin and death, and our resurrected bodies on the last day will prove that the reign of God has come to earth through Christ forever and ever.
1: Absolutely. Amen. And I think one reason that kind of a rapture theology has taken hold in, uh, in America especially, is that uh, we somehow have come to think that we're going to be immune from suffering. And I think a, a broader worldwide understanding of the body of Christ and how our fellow believers are suffering around the world at certain points can help us to realize that, you know, we're not exempt from that.
0: It really, rapture theology has really taken root in America.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and, it, it, yeah, it coincides with our prosperity and our emphasis on comfort and pleasure and secure material security and so forth. Like we're trying to create a so, kingdom of our own on this earth. That's, that's precisely what's going on, I think. And then you're right
0: to point out there are believers all over the world that live in very hostile circumstances, and they know being persecuted for their faith, experiencing difficulties, is what it means to be faithful to the king and his kingdom. That just, it goes well, with the kingdom because the kingdom indeed challenges all the false powers of the world and says, you have no rightful place here. This belongs to God. Christ is already reigning, and he's going to finish
1: what he started on the last day. Absolutely. When I had the privilege of teaching uh, for a couple of weeks um, in the underground church in China, um, you know, the con- that, that group of people included people who had been in prison for their faith and, and suffered, you know, loss of property and so forth. And if I had stood up and said, listen, one day we're all going to be sort of evacuated out of this and won't have to deal with this, they would have just looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> 'Cause they, they had they have already lived through so much of this. In fact, they're to the point, like Paul, where they take great joy in suffering for Christ because it's it's a badge of honor.
0: Yeah, it's a proof of the cross in their life. Yeah,
1: yeah. Very good.
0: Dr. Scott cool. Duvall, thank you so much, brother, for uh spending some time with us. Um, I'm hoping that our conversation will help. At least it will drive some rapture theology people back to the scriptures and and try to read them in their context rather than try to serve some sort of escapist theology that may sound really good to American ears, but the rest of the Christian world finds probably to be a little preposterous.
1: Yes, yes, well said. All right. great. Great to be with you.
0: Man, so grateful for your ministry, Scott.
1: Thanks, Rodney. Yours, too. Talk to you later. Bye.